0: My name's Tamsin Westthorpe and welcome to Fresh From The Pod. In this episode, I have a conversation with my good friend Lucy Chamberlain, who I like to fondly refer to as the Queen of Fruit and Veg. Lucy knows everything there is to know about growing your own so I thought during this lockdown she'd be the perfect person to talk to and we talk about her time as editor of Grow Your Own magazine and working with me on Amateur Gardening magazine and why she's gone back to the tools she's now a head gardener. You can also join Lucy on her regular podcast with Saul Walker. The two of them have created a podcast that shares the day-to-day goings-on of head gardeners and it's called Talking Heads. Well, it's lovely of you to join me on Fresh From The Pod and obviously your skills as a veg grower are just incredibly valuable at the moment, aren't they? Well, I have to say that I have since the COVID
1: nineteen virus has sort of come into our our minds, I have been sewing my socks off in the greenhouse here at home and also in the greenhouse at East Donald Hall where we have our wall kitchen garden. So I'm very glad at this moment that I do feel that I can provide food for my household and also for the for the family at the hall.
0: So Yeah. Yeah. So your life, explain to me your daily life. So you are at the hall, <laughs> how many days a week in the normal world? In the normal world, I
1: would do three days a week. And in this world, I'm still doing at the moment three days a week because we have spoken to the family at length and anybody with them at the hall, because they have a, a living carer to ensure that they are remaining inside the house on the days that we are there. And if they need to go out not that they aren't going out very much at the minute, obviously, but we keep our distance very, very carefully. We let each other know where we are in the gardens and we don't go into those parts of the gardens. So yeah. I can walk to the hall from my home. Oh, so that's wonderful. In that sense, Good. yeah, I am very lucky because I've been saying to friends that actually I feel safer at the hall because it's so remote. We're on a big 100 acre estate and I can go to the hall and I don't see Anybody, apart from Ian, my husband, who I'm living with, I don't see anyone all day. So at the moment, whilst the movements are obviously very restricted, I'm really hoping that I can continue going to the hall. So the family have got the reassurance that their garden's still being looked after and everything's being watered in the greenhouse. And also for my mental health as well, actually, I feel calmer Mm. away from my house where I'm watching the news and I'm seeing it all unfurl and go on in front of me. actually feel just to go to the hall, it's almost like a normal day for me, which is, I think that's really grounding and really solid and just makes me feel, yeah, I can catch my breath and just
0: feel more leveled. So, you know, we've known each other for, gosh, nearly 20 years now. And I think at times in our career, at the very early days, I know my friends were sort of, oh, you're a gardener, you know, like, gosh, is that the best you can come up with? But now, (laughs) I mean, I think, thank goodness we are. It really is, yeah, you know. know, amazing. And I think that people are, that have no interest in gardening are actually starting to realize that maybe they should read Lucy's column in AG about growing <laughs> veg each week. But um, please, do. please do. What's been, what, what would you say to a family that have never grown veg before at this time and they want to give it a go without sort of confusing them? What is the starting point? Yeah.
1: I've been thinking about this because, as you say, there's been lots of movement on social media because that's a really quick way to get the word out to people on what crops people can grow. And can they realistically be self-sufficient in a very short time scale? And I, I think if I was a family wanting to start out and wanting to sow some basics and able to get hold of the seed, for example, then things such as quick growing salad crops, they are a cinch to grow. They germinate really readily. So things such as your lettuce, things like rocket. I've sown loads of loads of basil as well. There's lots of when you start looking into it. There's things called uh, like mizuna, the pack choys, mustard greens, all all uh, komatsuna. There's lots and lots of leafy salads that people can grow. And I've sowed some rocket three days ago. It's already germinated. So there are some crops that actually will, I think as much as anything, they might not provide you with massive harvests quickly, but they provide you with that reassurance that you're, that something's growing in your garden that makes you feel a lot better. So salad leaves, I would start with those. And realistically, if you sowed some today after listening to this podcast, things like rocket or lettuce or anything quick growing along those lines, even radish and mustard, you could be harvesting those within five or six weeks. Now that, again, in the timeframes that we've been looking at on the news, that still seems to me like a long time in the future. You can't sow something and expect to get a harvest within two weeks, three weeks. You could yeah. sow, for example, micro leaves, but they're not going to bulk you out. They're just going to be a garnish on the side of your plate. So maybe for, like I say, mental well-being, they'll make you feel comforted, but they're not going to give you a really good harvest things like pea shoots again you could sow some of those now they would give you a harvest in maybe three four weeks time so pea shoots you would get a whole load of pea seed and you would fill up a any sort of any pot with ideally compost if you can get hold of compost but you could use garden soil if you needed to and you could sow the seeds really thickly on the surface of that pot so they're almost touching each other then put a little bit more compost on the top of that, water it in, put it somewhere that's relatively warm if you can. They would grow outside, but at the moment I think we are thinking of trying to get things producing a harvest quite quickly. So I'd sow mm-hmm. them, leave them on the windowsill, or if you have, are lucky enough to have a greenhouse, then get them in the greenhouse. You could be harvesting pea shoots, as I say, in about three or four weeks. But again, they're not going to give you volume. I would really realistically say to people that you've got to look for at least a kind of couple of months as your time frame for getting a decent harvest of say like um, a, a baby turnip or a baby carrot. Radishes would give you harvest in maybe about five six weeks, but again, do you want to eat just radishes? Um, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I think uh, I, I tweeted you the other day because I was turning our vegetable patch, and I said to my son, "What do, what do you want Mum to grow? What will you actually eat?" And I think that's a really good yeah. question, isn't it? And he said banana. It is. I mean, honestly. So, um, <laughs> but I worry that people are sort of thinking, "Oh, that looks nice," and, and sowing away, and they're sowing entire packets. Which, again, mm. with things like lettuce and tomatoes, you don't need fifty tomato plants, do you? So, it no, could you be don't. a case that you sow a few and pass the seeds on to a neighbour, and you know, make the most of the packet of seeds.
1: Yeah. Well, do you know what I'm doing? Because there, there was plans. In this village to do a few community fundraisers this summer. And obviously, now we have to rethink exactly how we're doing those. So, I was going to open my garden in, I'd even got the, the date set. It was going to be June the 7th. It was all, I literally had a discussion with the local charity to get it all sorted out a few days before coronavirus hit the UK. So, I was going to open my garden and I was also going to raise some plants for um, our village newsletter. What I'm doing now, I'm, I'm, because I have access at the moment to the hall's greenhouses, and also my own greenhouse, and I know lots of residents in the village where I live don't have a greenhouse. I'm sowing lots of stuff that then they can buy off me for a charitable donation to these good causes. So I know that movements might be restricted. I might be sowing lots of stuff now, and it may be that people can't buy it off me later. At the moment... My plan is to have an honesty pot at the end of my driveway to put the plants there, making sure that I don't touch them with my bare hands beforehand to be very mindful of that. But I'm hoping then that when people do do their daily walk, their daily exercise, that they can come to the house, get some plants. We've got a village Facebook page, so I can even photograph what I've got there to show people and say, look, if you want tomatoes, I've got them here, or I've got some basil in pots, I've got some peas. So as I say, either if you've got the knowledge to grow... Maybe think about growing them all yourself if you've got the space and the capacity to do so. And then you can give those plants to your neighbours, to people in the village or in the street where you live. And in doing so, as I say, maybe they could make a donation to a local charity and it would actually be a, a fruitful thing that we can we can create out of something that's just a bit a bit topsy turvy at the moment.
0: Yeah. I mean I'm amazed by the sort of energy and enthusiasm from the gardening industry. You know, all our fellow media mm friends are coming up with fantastic ideas and some you know won't yep. happen some can't happen things change all the time but it's so lovely that we've got something hmm. you know positive to give now i wanted yes. to think back we met first of all at amateur gardening magazine gosh when was we that did. i think uh, it was, gosh early 2000 I, I was a, wasn't it it
1: was about yeah it was a good 17 18 years ago wasn't it something Crikey.
0: like that yeah i know i know hasn't time flown i know and i was actually laughing to myself this morning thinking of the time that you had a bottle of um this is something to be learned if you're squirrelling away food you had a bottle a smoothie bottle on your desk and it exploded do you remember and you know went what? everywhere i do At, yeah, and you screamed it infl- and it, it was like a <laughs> massive explosion <laughs> and it, was, it always popped, made me laugh it, that the fruit expert should explode a bottle of smoothie I all know. over her desk. And honestly, there, it,
1: please don't make homemade smoothies unless you sterilise your jar. I mean, this was a shop bought one, but what yeah. it fermented, and the, yeah. the the actual the bottle stopper the the, the lid actually made a dent in the polystyrene roof tile above my. desk. And it was there for ages afterwards. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you remember that I was, that memory of me. <laughs> I just
0: thought, wow. I think it nearly gave us all a heart attack. But um, oh, I me- wanted to ask you: you came from a horticultural background. Why did you go into media? What was your sort of uh, you know, reasoning for applying for a job at Amateur Gardening?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, my background is that my my parents are they're now retired but they were smallholders for all of my life. Um, When I was two years old, we moved to something called the Land Settlement Agency, and it was a scheme whereby the government were wanting people to rent space on community smallholdings. And so in my very early days, I was on a smallholding with lots and lots of other uh, families, equally like-minded, all growing food for a cooperative and then we would send the food off to the London markets en masse. So individuals would grow stuff, but as a collective, we had more buying and selling power. So that was the start. And then mum and dad also then bought their own small holding just outside Colchester. And they did that till they retired 10, 15 years ago. So I wanted to take over the small holding. That was the plan. Um, but it was at the time, oh gosh, how many years ago now? A good couple of decades ago when the supermarkets were starting to really change our buying habits and also simultaneously changing the habits of the growers. So people such as smallholders who were growing lots of little bits of crops, um, lots of individual patches of this and that, They were not getting as much business as somebody who, say, specialised in just growing salad leaves or tomatoes or celery or whatever. So mum and dad uh, said to me that, Lou, there's not really going to be much money in this unless you specialise in one crop. And I didn't really want to. So then I started applying for other things. Simultaneously, I was studying I did an HND at Russell in horticulture, then a degree at Y College in again in horticulture. I thought, you know what, I like telling people how, explaining how they, to do stuff, the science behind it. And then a job came up at RHS Wisley and I was there in the advisory department. But part of that role, as well as telling all the members how to grow things and where to buy stuff and this kind of thing, part of that role was to write in the garden magazine the help and advice pages. So I was put in charge of coordinating the writing for that and also the photography. And that just opened my eyes to the world of writing. And I thought, you know what, I really, really like this. And that's then when I applied for the job at Amity Gardening.
0: But it's um, your experience of answering constant questions. I mean, that's never finished for you, has it? You're always answering no. questions, shows, events. I know. And, and do you ever tire of that? Do you ever think, Oh, no, not that question again. Is there a question that you constantly get asked?
1: Do you know what? I think if I did, I would have stopped doing it by now. But actually, I find it really good. I like a, I like a bit of a mental challenge. And I think that, as I say, when I was at Wisley, I was literally answering hundreds of questions a day by phone and email and letter and face to face. And I still, I still do that now on the radio and going to the RHS shows and the BBC Gardens World Live. That's my main role there on the advice desk with Saul Walker. We we sit there and literally get asked question after question after question. At the end of the day, I'm exhausted because it's mentally quite uh, sort of, you know, people put their fingers in your brain and ask all sorts of questions. But actually I really love it. And I think that there, yeah, you do find that there are questions that you get repeatedly asked, but then it, what that does, it allows you to then identify trends in gardening or say, if you think, oh, this might be a really bad year for blossom end rot, or it might be a really interesting year for a certain phenomenon going on in the garden, like things flowering earlier. It allows you to still remain at the coalface because when you're on an estate, I don't know how you feel about this, but when you start working for an estate or one specific garden, you can get quite insular, you can get quite focused on that garden. And so for me, going out there and answering all these general gardening questions just keeps me up to speed with everything. So I like I I like it. I really don't mind being asked anything at all. So,
0: and I think you're quite right. You know, if you are just tucked away in a garden, you would have no idea that, say, lily beetles absolutely terrible this year. You know, but you've got yeah. contact with people, which is really important. And you mentioned Saul Walker that you do your Talking Heads podcast with. So, yeah. how did that yeah. come about? Your podcast. Well, that I was very, very lucky there because Saul was a lovely
1: chap. And I met him at BBC Gardener's World Live. That's where we first met to work on the plant advice desk together. And also, we we also there judge the floral marquee. They have a whole, whole load of assessors going around looking at the quality of the exhibits in the floral marquee and awarding them their various medals. So that's what we were doing. And we would have been doing that this year. But Saul... Wanted, we both kept saying every year we wanted to do something, but we didn't quite know what. We both say we were both rubbish at promoting ourselves and, and, um, we were trying to think of a way to do something that felt comfortable to us and felt right. And he phoned me up one day and said, look, ah, oh, Lou, I've, I've seen a, I think it was an eight week podcast course where he is in Devon, an evening course. He said, I'm going to go on it. Would you like to be part of the podcast with me? Be the other half and I was blown away. I said, oh, that would be absolutely lovely. So that's what we do. And it, it feels nice because it's, we are basically trying, it, as I say, it's Talking Heads um, is is the, the name of the podcast. And it literally is, Saul so is a head gardener at Stone Lands down in Devon. I'm head gardener for East Island Hall. So it's us two talking about our estates and maybe just that slightly different perspective that people have who are looking after large estates, but then how That can relate to people with smaller gardens. And so it's an insight into our worlds, but it's also something that hopefully people can take tips and advice from for their own back gardens. And it's just, it's just us two rambling away about whatever we (laughs) feel like needs to be talked about. And it's lovely. We, we so enjoy doing it. We just, I think we're just both passionate plants people and we get on well. We have a bit of a banter. We pull each other's leg and it's fun. And that's, that's really our main reason for doing it. It's not to be, You know, we're not trying to make any money or commercial value from it. It literally is just something that we hope we enjoy and other people maybe enjoy it as well.
0: Brilliant. Well, I thoroughly enjoy listening to them when I'm gardening. I think it's the perfect combination, isn't it? Hands and knees listening to Lucy and (laughs) Saul. Obviously, gardening is brilliantly wonderful for our mental health. And we've already touched on the fact Mm. that, you know, this is going to help people get through this dreadful time who would have thought weeding would be the answer to most of our problems (laughs) now you've had (laughs) um, you've been very honest and open about your you know your your terrible upset of not being successful with IVF and you've you've told me and you've put in articles that gardening has got you through this how how has it got you through this time I think yeah like like you say it's very good for
1: your mental well being and I think this applies to anything that knocks you off your feet in life, and we all obviously now are experiencing something that's completely taken the rug from underneath us, and it's unsettling and yes so so for those who don't know, um my husband and I, as soon as we got married, we tried as most people do for a family, and that was oh a good five years ago now, um yeah, we tried to conceive naturally, and then we went through three rounds of i v f you know donor eggs and my own eggs. And nothing worked. And I did find those times really, really, really hard. It was the first massive hurdle in my life. I think I'd actually faced that it, it made me feel like my identity was really being questioned because most women, like, you know, you want to think that you can bring a child into the world. It's for me, that was like, well, that's what I was supposed to be doing. I always anticipated that I was going to have a family and, and it, all that was being thrown into question and doubt. And I felt, I felt awful. Honestly, like it was just so upsetting in many ways that I didn't really even appreciate was going to upset me. But the, what gardening did at that time was just allow me to forget that side of things. Because when you're going through things like IVF, you've got lots of injections to give yourself, lots of cycles to... um to go through, you know, you have to go and have ultrasounds regularly. You have to go to the clinic to have the IVF treatment. Then you've got this two week wait when you work to see whether the embryo is actually st- stuck or not. And then all the testing, it's all, it's just a very turbulent time and very emotions are up and down all the time. And, um, yeah, gardening allowed me to just center myself and just, I used to just toddle into the garden at home. We'll go to East and Sometimes I go into the garden and have a blooming good cry, because honestly, that's really important to do. I think if, if anyone's feeling overwhelmed by emotions at the moment with the present crisis that we find ourselves in, honestly, just do have a blimmin' good cry. It's like an emotional detox. That's what I think the, a cry will do for you. So I often used to go into the garden and do that, but then I'd put myself together, and I'd also do some lovely things there as well, which would be you know, sewing stuff, propagating, taking cuttings, just looking at wildlife, anything that actually sits you, it puts you in the moment, it doesn't, your mind is immediately distracted by all the sights and the sounds and the colours and all, everything in front of you is just flooding you with, with really positive emotions and I think that's what gardening does when you are facing, as I say, times of uncertainty, go into the garden uh, you'll see a butterfly. You'll hear a bird. You'll see a bee. You'll, you can get your hands in the soil, in the compost. Like you say, weeding, you can, you can get really pedantic about weeding and really, you know, go, go for it in the garden. If there's a bed that you've got in your garden that you really need to get your teeth into now, for goodness sake, now is the time to do it. And you will feel so much better once you've actually got that bed around and you know, you've turned something that's negative. You've kicked it out of your brain. You've gone out there. You've put, your energy into something positive i think that's the thing you the energy needs to go into something that's really constructive not nothing that's draining and that's what gardening can do for us all
0: and i think your point of going out into the garden and having a good cry is so important especially if you're in a household with lots of people in and you haven't got your own space that's the place to go isn't it it's it's just like a little bit of heaven somewhere to hide and just yeah. to be alone actually is, um, I think, I mean, so. I, I, yeah. I know I sort out a lot of things in my head just by being on my own and gardening. So I, I think it, it, it's just can't be, I can't emphasize enough. And I'm sure you'll agree that how valuable it is. Yeah. To be able really to get is. out in the garden. And it's better than having a cry in the staff toilets, isn't it? Like most people have to do. We don't have those I facilities know. as gardeners. No, I have done that in my time. As time as I was to say. time your own magazine. <laughs> <laughs> that, has,
1: that has been something that I've done when you're in an office full of people and you're feeling a bit like overwhelmed with everything. Again, as I say, it's literally, I, I do, don't be ashamed of crying. As I say, I think it's an emotional detox. That's what I think of it as. You get these overwhelming feelings and the best thing to do is release them, you know, honestly, don't hold it in, release them, get them out. Um, just, just do that. And it, I think sometimes if you feel like you want to get upset, say, for example, you've got children in the house and you, you want to be a rock for them and you don't want to be seen to be looking upset. Or for example, with me, uh, Ian, through IVF and, and, uh, through other things that have happened lately, but Ian's, Ian's health has been in question and, so I wanted to be a rock for him but at the same time I wanted to go and have time to myself just to get to grips with stuff just to process things that are being thrown at you and yeah there's there's nothing wrong at all in fact like I say I would actively encourage people to just to just to do it don't not you know get out of your system
0: and then and then crack on with something good People will be listening to this, Lucy, with boxes of tissues now, weeping. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Now, you mentioned your time as a Grow Your Own editor. And our career is quite funny because we both left Amity Gardening at a similar time. Both went on to edit. And I think you will agree that that was a big step for both of us, wasn't it? To go and edit magazines. You're suddenly yes. the boss and you're not so much part of the team. Um, How did you find that? I mean, I found that quite, because we were such a tight-knit team at Amateur Gardening, suddenly you are the person in charge. Yeah, I know. I
1: I think when you are working for a magazine and you are in the editorial team, being in that editor's seat is your ultimate goal. So, for example, for my route into it, as I say, I was writing for the garden magazine. Then I thought... I wanted to write for a a slightly more senior position. So that was me as gardening editor, amateur gardening. And you were, that's when we met. You were features editor, weren't you? And then, and then you became deputy editor too. So what you're wanting to do is to climb that ladder. That's the natural process. You want to, if you, if you've got the ambition, you want to go up and up and up and you want to be in that editor's chair. And then suddenly this lovely, amazing opportunity is given to you and you're sat in that chair. And you suddenly realize, wow, the responsibility on my shoulders yeah, huge. is massive. <laughs> and you did. What have really I done? Yeah. I know, I literally did have a couple of days. I know my first couple of days when I went into edit, grow your own magazine, I sat in the chair and I got a lovely team around me. of the, We've got all the advertising team and the art studio. And then the editorial team was sat in separate offices. And I had my editorial assistant and my deputy. And I literally sat there for a day. Staring at the magazine, just trying to take in the enormity of what had just happened, and thinking I, how i I now need to lead, I now need to be the one yeah. who directs the the way the magazine evolves and changes and the content of it and commissions all this and um it it does um yeah i can't quite put into words that I was absolutely elated, but at the same time petrified into my boots about what I was going to do and Then I just managed to do it. I think what I did first of all was I flat planned the magazine, which is a way of, for those not in the publishing industry, flat planning is where you you literally look at every individual page of the magazine and you decide the flow of the features and where the adverts are going to go and what features are going to be. And then you get all your regular regular contributor pages in there. So you, you basically give that magazine a structure and a template. And to me, that really grounded me. I was like, right, okay, I can now deal with this in bite-sized chunks. I need to look at, for example, we've got Sally Nex writing for us and Anne Swithenbank, and I was looking at their pages, getting familiar with the template of that. And and so eventually, but it took a good six months, I think, for me yes. to bed in and really get to grips with it all, because I bet you're the same in that when I look back on the time when I was editing, I always describe it to people as that I was I was plate spinning and there was a lot of plates to spin. And then something would come along, and somebody would rugby tackle you from the side, and you'd have to yeah. carry on plate spinning and deal with the rugby tackle all at once. And it's just—I mean, I can say a lovely position to be in, but
0: it, and it—you it, it have to just get on with it. You just have to. I think what I learned is how varied the job is and how actually you just live in uh, slightly in fear all the time of making the wrong decision. <laughs> so now my next yeah. question is like, why have we both left that, you know, that hot seat and gone back to gardening? <laughs> Most people will go, well, maybe you dropped all the plates. But I, th- I suspect <laughs> with with me, it was definitely, I've done this, I've achieved this, I've loved it. But like you, my passion is hands in soil. And I think you can yeah. only leave that for a while. Do you think? What What would be your view? I always think of myself as a gardener first and
1: a journalist second. That's that's me. Because of my, my upbringing on my parents' nursery and my grandma was a lovely gardener, it's horticulture is my main thing. And as you say, hands-on horticulture is is delicious it just keeps you connected with everything it's what you're passionate about i get much more excited about going into the garden and looking at flowers than i do about going into my office and turning on my laptop you know that's yeah. that to me is why i wanted to get back to gardening and also i i do feel like and i don't know how you you your mind works about this but with me i do like to i want to get to grips with the job and then I, if i if i feel i'm making progress with that job then that's great. If I feel like, for example, I'm changing the style of the magazine, getting the contributors up, or just putting input in there that I find's rewarding, that's great. And then there comes a time where you think, oh, I I've, I've, I feel a bit like I'm treading water yeah. in the nicest possible way. I don't mean that at all. In that I, I was, you know, I'm still very conscientious and putting t- together good quality stuff and making sure the readers were entertained and all that. But uh, for my personal satisfaction, I was like. I I need that next step now. I need to do something else. And looking after, for me, looking after a walled kitchen garden was the only other thing in my career that made me feel like I wanted to get out of that editor's chair and yeah. do something else. And so lucky that where we are here in Fingringhoe, there's a hall, east. I say, I've mentioned before, East Allen Hall. That's where I'm head garden now. And they've got this lovely two thirds of an acre walled kitchen garden. Oh my God, you know, that is... For me that is that is the ultimate. If I can look after I mean it's got loads of other stuff too. There's a hundred acre estate with all sorts of things there, but I do spend a lot of time especially at the minute in the kitchen garden and that is that's my yeah that is me that is my that's my identity and my passion and and what I absolutely love.
0: But do you find now that you are hands in soil every day do you find it's easier to write you know, it's easier to share oh. gardening because you're doing it? Yeah. It gives you,
1: basically it gives you fodder. It gives you fodder to yeah. write about. It gives you the the experiences. You're connected with the gardening calendar because you're seeing it every single day. For example, what I write about in Amateur Gardening Magazine each week is is about growing your fruit and veg. And I've been doing that now for the last four, five years. I love doing it. I absolutely adore doing it. But you have to always obviously think of fresh content to keep the readers entertained. And by doing the garden at East Dolan Hall, and also my own garden. I've got a lovely fruit and veg garden at home in the last four years. And that keeps my content fresh. I'm always learning stuff. You're always learning slightly different tweaks and observations. I think the way I've sort of seen it, going to college has taught me the rules of horticulture. And then by actually practically gardening... You learn how to bend the rules and flex them a little bit and you learn what you can get away with. And I, to me, that's a lovely position to be in. You know what you can do and what science will allow you to do. And then you're like, well, actually, how far can I push that? What, you know, what's, what can I do to kind of tweak it and manipulate it? And I find that really,
0: personally, really, really fun. But, but also if you weren't doing that, your columns would be the same year after year, wouldn't they? You know, exactly. you have to, yep. you know, that that's what makes it so, so interesting. And I also think, you know, now we've reached, reached, dare I say it, sort of middle age, not quite, Um, that <laughs> we've, we've got the experience, you've got the experience to say, this is how I do it. This is how Lucy does it. And you're not sort of yes. referring back, oh gosh, how did someone else do it? I can't deviate from that too much, but you yeah. definitely have yeah. your own way of growing and the confidence to say, this is my style, which is which is wonderful and well earned, isn't admit, it? After my, a lot of time. My,
1: well, that's no thank. You. And, and you both definitely. I, I think that I think that when you're writing, the confidence that as you have, if you, if you've got that in your growing techniques, that comes across in your writing. And yeah, you're you're always evolving. I think we're always evolving as writers. And the more we learn, the more we understand about our topic, the more diverse we can be, the more we can. We, we, as I say, the confidence just to sit down there and type up a story. I never really have to think about it. Sounds funny, but I don't actually think about what I'm writing beforehand. I just sit no. there and it flows. And I don't know I've, I, I don't know if other people are the same, but that's, it just comes. And I don't, I don't try to, um, structure things too much. I obviously make sure I give people the core information that they need, but then I, yeah, it's, it's an, I can't quite put it into words, but it's, it's just a nice, I I do really, really enjoy the writing. The more my confidence grows, the more I find it such a satisfying thing to do.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Now, we have a sort of shared hero, don't we, in our wonderful friend Peter Seabrook, who um, has been writing and gardening, you know, forever. And he's always been rather lovely to us too, hasn't he, as his sort of gardening girls. Um, And uh You know, I just think people like him with all those miles of gardening experience are so valuable, aren't they? He's a superstar. They are.
1: I think Peter has such a special place in my heart. I first met Peter... When I was working on Amateur Gardening Magazine and I looked after his column, I was one of the lucky enough to, Tim Rumble, the editor at the time, obviously, obviously thought I had enough savvy. Thanks, Tim, for that. I'm very, very grateful to look after Peter's column. So I would photo research it and I would read through his, his copy and I would phone him and speak to him most weeks and have a chat and. It was lovely. I think Peter took a little while to understand my background. And, but once he did, once he knew I'd been to Ristel and to Y and I got parents who were smallholders and I was a horticulturist first and a writer second, we struck up a lovely friendship. And I bet you've done the same with Peter as yeah, well. Yeah,
0: he's wonderful.
1: Yeah. 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 And w- Whenever you see him, he's always so, he's so, he, he is a massive big ball of positive energy. And I love yeah. people like that. I think he is so, considered and he so wants to promote the horticultural industry not for selfish reasons oh he's so selfless and i think that in itself is a trait that's just so um it's so you you don't come across a person like peter very it's often. rare yeah.
0: yeah we are your we are your fan club peter seabrook if you're listening <laughs> absolutely so, absolutely so who who would you say is uh, who do you look up to in your your growing world are there any other people that you think, gosh, you know, that they, they really have done well and um uh, yeah. you, you listen yeah. to their information?
1: I think when it comes to fruit and veg, I think probably, I don't like to be bumptious, but I, I think that in that sense, I, I feel that I don't look to... Not to say that there's not people out there that are fantastically knowledgeable, but what excites me at the moment is things that I haven't really looked into much depth. Like I say, I always want to kind of like improve on things. And so, for example, exotics, people who love growing exotic plants, I I haven't done that much because at East Dunland Hall – we don't. We have very traditional herbaceous borders, lots of herbaceous perennials and trees and shrubs, all very hardy. We might grow a few dahlias. That's about as most as exotic as we get. And though and and I'm like, oh, do you know what? I'd love to get my teeth into something else. So what I've started doing recently, and I've <laughs> obviously at the moment I've put a lid on things. I can't go around so freely as I used to. But I I've started approaching gardeners and nurseries who grow plants that I find fascinating. So just down the road from me. In Moldham, is Alting Wick, owned by Philippa Barrows.
0: Oh, I'd love to go there. Yeah, oh, oh. do
1: you know in in in, the, in October I did. I I know that um I know Lou and Rachel now through working at uh, Philippa's garden. So I made some lovely friends and connections, which is gorgeous in itself. Um, you get two gardens talking together, and they just go on forever, like two blokes talking about football. So that's we ha- we had some lovely lovely banter. But Philippa's plantings at Alting Wick were. Oh my God, my, it was just, I was salivating over the stuff. It was so, so gorgeous, massive, big insetties and hardy, um, begonies that I didn't even realize existed and, um some uh, really unusual things like this. this um, I can't think of the spe- this. Is the, it gets new to me. There's species of tobacco plants that just look nothing like tobacco plants and the big yakons. And um, it was just delicious. And she got lots of dahlias and salaries and things that I'm more familiar with. But that really, really got me excited. And so I think that to me is, they're the people I look up to, the people who are literally growing and doing the stuff. And you can see the results of their knowledge and their skills. She opens her gardens um, usually in the spring and the autumn when the the spring is for her tulip collection, which again looks amazing. And then in the autumn, it's all for the exotics. And um for me, that's the kind of person that really, really gets me going.
0: Gosh, Lucy, it sounds like you're going to be turning the garden you work for into something else. Do, do they give you a lot of freedom <laughs> there to sort of do and grow what you want?
1: I do have freedom. I maybe wouldn't have as much as other head gardeners that I'm speaking to. For example, Saw has a lot more freedom at Stoneland because the owners of that garden aren't, they would admit by themselves, they're not gardeners. So they let Saul steer the planting. Whereas where I am at East the owners there are very keen gardeners and they're very good at what they, they do. So in that sense, it just means that I definitely do suggest things and i i joked the other day to Saul we said that we we often trial things i've worked out that if i say we're doing a trial of something then i can get those plants into the garden so i'm gradually working <laughs> very out very sneaky away. i love it oh yeah it's, it's not it's very non-committal you know if we don't have to have these plants
0: but you know just just try them for a year or maybe 10 and uh, yeah, we're just giving <laughs> this entire tropical border just a season to bed in and see how it does exactly. i love it <laughs> excellent yeah
1: so so I, I i can flex my wings to a degree but um yeah, I, as I say, it's, it's it's such a lovely place to work. It's literally I'm sitting here in my lounge at the minute talking to you, and I can look out of my lounge window and I can see the back garden of the hall. As I say, it's oh, that, that's
0: brilliant. Literally
1: that close Fantastic. to me, and um, it's got some beautiful parts to it. So I'm I feel very very lucky.
0: So what is there on your sort of bucket list left for you? Do you is there anything you're desperate to do? A job you're desperate to do, or an experience? Oh. Do you know what? It's been funny because
1: just going back to the, the motherhood thing, like that, that is what I'm waiting to do. I still would very much like to tick that box. That is something for me that is, I know it's aside from horticulture, but I, yeah, that, that's the thing that's, um, something that I, I just would so love to get there. And, uh, Ian and I are trying different ways to get to that point in our lives. And in the meantime, Obviously, living as much as we can and having as much fun as we can. I say we last year we had a bit of a bad year because Ian had a um, a cancer scare, which thankfully I have to say now is all all sorted. That was uh, again a, a bit of a hideous year, a lot more crying <laughs> as we touched on. Oh, um, so, well, no, but it's that's just life, isn't it? Life just throws you these things. It's as I say, it's now thrown us this, and um, we, th- we I, I, it's taught me, Tam, to look at that silver lining as much as you can, because the, the silver lining is what gets you through the other stuff. And um, yeah, to me, gardening and getting out there, I'm so lucky that I have got a nice garden at home. Uh, and I've been gardening all day at the hall. I come back in my stinky Gore-Tex coat and my welly boots and I go straight into my garden. And um, yeah, that, that to me is, um, I'd say that would be uh, the icing on the cake to be a mum at some point.
0: And it sounds like your husband is just a superstar. And, uh, you know, you put pictures of him on Twitter with a chainsaw boiler suit. Um, so oh. he's as passionate about gardening as you are, I take it. I, I love him. Ian, honestly, I love you to pieces. He is, he,
1: he and I are, we are like two peas in the pot. I know they say opposites attract, but actually we are so similar. Um, on our first date, we found out all sorts of things about each other. We both liked Babington, We both would go skiing. We both liked our gardening, both went to Rittle College. we both actually both stayed in the same hall, uh, same, sorry, not the halls of residence. In the, the other year uh, when you're at Rittle, you're encouraged to go out into, um, find your own digs. We actually stayed in the same house, but three years apart. How and weird. That, yeah, that's strange. I know, strange. I know. Yeah. But no, he is, he is, a gem. And I think, um, I'm very lucky that he and I both love gardening and it means that as you say, in our in our garden back at home, we're doing some massive big projects this year. He he's just spent the last two days digging up the bottom of the garden so we can plant loads more potatoes, and he's just like a Shire horse. He just went at it like crazy and would not deviate from anything at all, apart from food and water, because that's what I've worked out. That's the way to his heart is keeping well fed and watered. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, he's. um He's, yeah, I'm very, very lucky to have him because he's, he's, he literally is like a, like a shy horse. He'll do all the, the jobs that I couldn't do physically on my own. I'd be on my knees in minutes and he just, he just can keep going. He's fantastic.
0: Ah, well, thank you so much for coming on to zoom with me for the first time (laughs) and it's been so lovely to talk to you it's lovely to see a friend and a friendly face i know our listeners can't see your face but um yeah it's been really (laughs) great and i know that we will keep in touch you know as we continue through our journey in this uh horticultural career we've chosen and yeah, uh, yeah. keep telling us all what to do in our our veg beds lucy at this time it's so important <laughs> i will so, do that i will do that yeah, <laughs> carry on thank with you very your, much your your veggie
1: treat i will And thank you so much for having me on the demo it's lovely to speak to you really really nice see
0: you soon bye bye Thank you for joining Lucy and I on Fresh From The Pod. If you want to hear more from Lucy, then do tune in to her regular podcast with Saul Walker, Talking Heads. I hope she's inspired you to grow your own. Just give it a go. Join me next time on Fresh From The Pod. from the pod is presented by me Tamsin Westhorpe and produced by Candide in their plant-filled Bristol office candide is a free plant and gardening app with a helpful community of plant lovers interesting articles and great tools like plant identification and garden tours ask a question in the app with the hashtag fresh from the pod and i'll choose my favorite to answer later in the series and if you enjoyed fresh from the pod please leave a review on apple podcasts share it on reddit and talk about it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe